Hi, welcome to Eurocron. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Eurocron is a podcast where we chronicle extraordinary people and their extraordinary stories. Our goal is simple, entertain, inspire, educate, and at times humor our audience while our guests build their audio legacy. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. Cindy Harwood Rose began snipping her way to stardom at the age of 16. Her career began at Astroworld in Houston, which eventually took her to Disneyland and Disney World. Cindy is considered the world's premier silhouette artist and has sheared such celebrities as Elvis, Liberace, Mama Cass, Queen Elizabeth, Sammy Davis, Peter Fonda, Barbara Bush, and Tony Bennett. Cindy is the co-founder of the Holly Rose Ribbon Foundation, where she creates custom silhouettes for survivors. All proceeds are dedicated to helping uninsured cancer survivors. Cindy, welcome to your cron. Thank you. It is great to have you on. I really appreciate you. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I appreciate it. So where is a good place to start your extraordinary story. I want to say that it started when I was born because I feel like I was born an artist. And I think that you're born a certain way. And I was drawing and making messes all my life and getting in trouble for it. But some of them were really beautiful messes. And um, I got, I scribbled on walls. I, um, when I was about two years old, I was really proud of myself. I was tall as the bathroom sink. So I think I was fairly good size. I might've been two and a half Mm. and I reached on my tippy toes and there was a little scissors there and I grabbed it. It was rounded scissors and I took it and I scratched a face into the wall, a relief. And I was so proud of the artwork. (laughs) And of course that was another spanking, but Later on, my parents realized that I was an artist, and I inherited that from my mother's side of the family, and you don't always inherit it. My children are lawyers. My father was a lawyer, and my mother was an architect, and she could do the Polish and German paper cutting, which is sort of roosters and little children and valentines. And I would do art with my mother, and so did my two sisters. We would do art all the time, whether it be chalk or it could be clay, um, painting, oils. And when I was in kindergarten, I drew everyone in my class. And they knew who I drew. They could tell. They brought them to the front of the class. They knew, of course, which one was the teacher and who everyone was. And I think it just went on from there. So I want to say that I don't want to take credit for my art. I want to say it's from God. Mm. So art, what is your personal definition of art? I think art is being able to see what you want in your mind or with your eye vision or in your heart and then be able to translate that in the form of communications in a solid object that other people will look at and say, this is real. So you use your imagination, which is creativity, and then you create a solid form that other people can identify with in some way or another. Mm, Okay. So silhouette artist. Describe what a silhouette artist is. There's very few. There's few people who can hand cut a portrait 
with scissors or a scalpel without sketching at first, using a light, tracing it off the wall. The word silhouette is very broad. So some people use the word for clothing, for a cave, um, etching or Greek mythology. They can say that it could be a shadow on the wall. To me, that is not a silhouette, although it can be very important, such as in the Sally Hemings exhibit, which is at Monticello, a place that I got to do silhouettes at. Mm. And the Sally Hemings is a new exhibit there where it is a shadow because it's a reduction of a terrible theme and it wants you to think about it. But most silhouette artists will not think that something that's traced off a wall less than one dimension is a profile or a portrait. For me, it needs to go further. It needs to capture the light within a person. It's not like Peter Pan's shadow that he went pursuing. Um, interestingly, Jung, the psychiatrist, psychologist that we all know, J-U-N-G, mm-hmm. he said the shadow was the ego. And we wouldn't think a shadow was an ego, but I can actually realize that it is. We run on the ground. We see our shadow. We chase it. It's kind of fun, but a silhouette done as a portrait should have light in it, not darkness. A Mm. shadow is your block light. So when I do a portrait of a person, I want to bring out their inner light, their insides. And I talk to them for a few seconds before I cut their profile out, and they don't know it. I'll say something. Well, actually, you can read personality. So the other day I saw a little boy, and I'm like, you play a musical instrument, which one? And he said, clarinet. And I said, I bet you can dance. And he danced. And then they're at ease, and they sit down, or I crawl up to them. And I do their profile, and I capture the inner inside as well as the outside. And they feel like it's more identifiable than what they may see in a photo. And a real silhouette artist should be able to look at all four dimensions, not two, which is a camera, not three, that's what we are, but see the soul. Mm. So I like to say that as a silhouette artist, I see your soul. Mm. What Can you describe that feeling of that fourth dimension of, of seeing someone's soul? I think that all actors, writers, creators, scientists have to let go of their earthly side and move up into a higher dimension, which is kind of our creativity or our God force. And when you move into that, then you can move into creativity. And creativity is when you let go. And you don't want to let go for your whole life because we are on this earth. But you let go for a minute. And in that minute, you meet the meeting ground of the two of you. And then that's what I try to get to and see that part of the other person that reaches within me. And I also want to make decisions such as, do I really do their nose as it looks or do I flatter them? I did Golda Meir and of course I did her nose exactly like it was because she was a politician and international prime minister and I wouldn't want it to be less than who she really was. But in Houston, Texas, believe me, nobody wants a bump in their nose (laughs) or their double chin. And so I have to make that decision. I do a lot of events. I do a lot of Google um, events. I did 13 to 19 in the last year and a half from Canada, all over the USA, a lot of Silicon Valley. I was asked to India, but I was already booked, but I would go. I would definitely go. And um, Microsoft Dow, I can't even think of all the different businesses and events that I've done, but my most favorite are ones where I learned something. So I really love Google because they let me in on the meetings and they're very evolved. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's an honor to be around what the world is doing on their point of view, as yeah. opposed to the Disneyland point of view is where I started. Yeah. And that's creating happiness. But I don't know if all the employees are happy because there is certain regimens, like being in an army of personality that you have to adhere to. And um, it's not hard. It's a good thing to do when you work anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there has to be some some sense of order. So, can you tell us more about Google? What I'm, I'm curious. Now I was really excited because I get so many emails a day that I have to sift through, and some of them are just junk yeah. that we delete. We sure. look at it for a second, and you're like junk, junk. And then one said, "Can you do an event in Canada?" Kitchener at our officers. I don't even think they said Kitchener. They said at our offices in Canada. And then it was said Google at the bottom. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this says Google. And it looked like the logo looked legitimate. And I'm like, are you Google? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, how'd you find me? And they're like, we Googled you. (laughs) I'm like, how many silhouette artists did you Google? And they're like, just you and a man. I'm like, where was the man? What city is that man in? I think I know who the man is. And it was England, and it was a friend of mine, Charles Burns. And Charles Burns and I both made a documentary called Silhouette Secrets. So we made a full-length documentary together. We started it in England, and it was kind of a modern-day version of the complete history of silhouettes, which is about... You can start with Greek cave dwellings, but I like to start with portraits and the invention of the scissors, Where whether you think Thomas Edison invented them or who you think invented them, sheep shears or whatever. But when the first portrait was cut directly from paper by a real portrait artist, that's what I like to think. So we're saying 700 years ago. And Charles and I made this film and we submitted it all over the world. I mean, it cost to submit, so we didn't submit in everything, but we won 14 awards, two in the United States. And of course they were in Houston. Wonderful. You have to have a little pull to win these awards. (laughs) Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about silhouettes? Well, the one that upsets me the most, and I don't like to use the word upset, but people go, oh, my teacher did that when I was six. I haven't had another one. And I'm like, no, they hadn't seen me do it yet. So they're thinking that to me, I had one of those done. It was done by an aunt of mine who was a school teacher. And I and my mother, we all thought it was atrocious because when you stand with a projector on your face and a child might be making a funny face where they have a double chin and if you smile, your nose is larger, you could be putting your head next to your shoulder so a shadow's a distortion of you and then the teacher is not an artist and then they put their hand in the shadow getting in the way of what your profile looks like which it doesn't even look like that then they draw something which is totally out of proportion the back of your head might not meet your chin and then they take craft scissors and i can cut a silhouette with any scissors but they're not artists and they try to cut the line that they sketch and then it's another distortion so it's this huge monstery looking thing that they hand out to the parents for mother's day or something and when i looked at it i thought oh no and every kid looked the same in the class but it was just horrible <laughs> So, <laughs> Did that for most. I mean, you just described my kindergarten silhouette to a T. I just remember this hot, 
projector and we did the shadow and and I had to look at my enlarged head in the hallway of my home growing up. (laughs) And they don't know there's a real art to it. And and then there's people on the internet and they they always put religion in their silhouette page. They make a lot of money. I'm not really into internet Etsy orders. No one can order a silhouette from me off the internet. I'm not really one that doesn't want to be active. I like to be out there meeting people. So I'm an itinerant artist. And that means I go to the people and I'll go anywhere. I go to England. I mean, normally it's more like New York, Silicon Valley, um, a lot of Dallas, Austin, Houston, Beaumont. I'll go four hours in a car. <laughs> That's about it. That could be a little bit of Louisiana. And then I fly. Yeah. And I fly even to New Orleans. Why shouldn't I? It's much more relaxing than to drive. But. Sure. Yeah. So you, silhouettes, of course, is your your specialty, uh, I would guess. I feel like it's my religion. Yeah. I've, I've, I do because I um, feel like God give, gave it to me, and I never would have heard of it. I would have only thought of that horrible thing the teachers did or Peter Pan wanting his shadow. And those are, the, I think, what you think about. And I'm a very deep intellectual person, so sitting in amusement parks, beginning at Astroworld, then Disneyland and Disney World, the connection being the man who owned the art concessions, owned them at all places. And I was their fastest silhouette artist, and that's how an Astroworld artist, first drawing portraits at 16, they I brought in my portfolio. They wanted me to be a cashier, and I knew I wouldn't want to be a cashier, but I thought... My aunt, my aunt would say, when the door to opportunity knocks, you must open it. <laughs> so I, when I heard they needed a cashier for the art concession, beamed in my brain art, and I brought in my portfolio, and I said, I want to be an artist. I don't want to be a cashier. And they liked my artwork. They said, draw me. So I drew them, and they're like, no, 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 we don't use pencils. <laughs> we, use con- we use these pastels, and we use watercolors, and then I had to do them again. Different era, men could treat women like that. Yeah. Well, I wasn't a woman. I was 16. Maybe, is that a woman? Maybe that's a woman. A 16-year-old, yeah. Yeah. In pilgrim days, that was a woman. Or, yeah, I would In agree pioneer with that. days, yeah, That's a sure. good question, though, for today's, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't answer that. I think 16, you can definitely be a woman. A young woman? Um, if you're married and it's permitted, then you're a woman. Yeah. I think that if you act like a child and you don't have your parents' consent, then at 16, you're still not an adult woman. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I'll go with that. Okay. I do do events that they have weird themes. So I was really excited Cirque du Soleil hired me. I mean, that's kind of like Google to me. Yeah. I mean, Google's better, but it was Cirque du Soleil, and I love that weird kind of feeling. And they said, it's so... I was hired out of London, by the way. No, mm. excuse me, Canada. But they were English company. And they said, we want you to dress steampunk Victoriana. And I'm like... Oh, okay. I looked it up like, what is that? And it's sort of like, it's when time stops and the old era of the primitive 1800s or that English era stops and the clock keeps going. Or you could say Alice in Wonderland. And then it meets modern day with electronics. And there's a whole cult around that. And 
Of course, I wouldn't know about that. But then I looked up the way to dress. I had to approve it. I came dressed like that. I actually felt like I rocked it. And then the same people who hired me for that hired me for many other circus events. And I was kind of felt real cool to be around all the tattooed people. And um, <laughs> Microsoft hired me too in Vegas. And it was through Bella Nock, the clown. So I did his silhouette. He has a Guinness Book World Record. And he was on America's Got Talent. He has big blonde hair that goes up to the sky. So I've done a lot more celebrities than your list, like Ashley Judd. I have a, I have um, my own, I want to say diagnostics or feelings about each one of them. So um, Ashley Judd related to me really well. She's a germophobia person and I'm not, but she wouldn't talk to anyone. And she sat, she wouldn't eat the food and she sat with her hands together and really you couldn't break the ice. And I took out my surgical scissors, magic wand, and cut out her profile. And we had a conversation the whole time, and she was happy. And she said that was the first silhouette that ever looked like her. She had had it done at Disney. And um, what can happen to a person is they don't look. Because you can be objective and subjective. So one means that you are putting yourself into everyone when you do a portrait of them. And the other means you're pulling yourself away from them and going into them. And that's what I try to do. I try to take me out of who they are and see who they are each time. And I'm amazed because I never feel the same about a person. I can do 200 people and four-hour party and at Disney, my record was 600 a day. That was a 14-hour day. But I don't feel the same about any two people, three people, triplets, any anyone ever. So 600 individuals. And in one Disney feelings. day, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. What? Any issues with your hand? Using? That's what people think. So the yeah. only issue is the pressure. I control every little nook, and I'm real picky. A silhouette is different than a caricature, and you've seen, really, if you go to Times Square, <laughs> there's like 9 or 20 on every block, but there's not a single silhouette artist in New York State or Canada. And there is in South America, there's in Mexico and South America, there's only one. And in Australia, there's one. There are none in India. There's one in, I mean, Asian countries, I've only heard of one, and India is an Asian country. But So it's not that prevalent to have a real silhouette artist at a lot of places now. In England, when I did The Queen, there wasn't any then. So that was like 1982. <laughs> I'm not that young. And um, now they have about eight or six in England and in the United States, when I look on the internet, a lot of people say, I am a real silhouette artist and they're tracing a shadow off the wall or they're sketching something or they're taking a photo and cutting the center out (laughs) with a scalpel and spray painting a silhouette large on the wall, which is still, you know, meaningful, attractive, or they're using a machine to etch your face out of, um, some material where you can wear it as a piece of jewelry. And so it all has meaning. I'm not going to take away from the meaning, but I don't really feel like they're a real silhouette artist. Yeah. Because you're such a, a small group of people. Do you stay in touch or how I many do, do you stay in touch? I, I do. I, when I, I stopped working for the 20 years I raised my children because I um, really went all into it. I stopped silhouette cutting as much because silhouette cutting, you have to be into 100 people, 20 people. It's parties, weddings, 
events, corporations, and you're booked and you need to be there. And sometimes I would have long lines. It would be an ad in the newspaper by Saks Fifth Avenue or Neiman's or stores saying that I would be there all over the United States before I was married. And um, in events like the Europac, that's where I did Queen Elizabeth, but and on BBC TV, on Billy Peter, the TV show. But um, with children, you want to be there for their events, and they can be in sports, and the next day they have another game. So that didn't fit. So I was doing writing and TV things and PR and marketing, which is one of my degrees. And I was able to do that. And then when the kids went off to college, I pushed myself out there again and reached out to other silhouette artists on the Internet. And I didn't want myself on the Internet until then. So Mm. we're saying... Really about eight years ago, I reached out to other silhouette artists. One and in particular was extremely nice to me named Catherine Flocken. Her husband helped me do my website. And um, that's kind of complicated because there's so much history that I wanted in it. I wanted it to have a certain look, which would be old-fashioned wallpaper mixed with modernness. And that's how I feel about it. I'm in the Guild of American Paper Cutters, so... I actually spoke this summer in Portland at Reed College as an artist. I was kind of scared to speak with really wonderful paper cutters, which they do scenes. They usually use an exacto blade and cut it out. It's in a lot of cultures, especially German, Polish, and Japan. That's through rice paper, their templates. So they maybe didn't invent their own pattern. Mm. And that's more of a craft, like playing bridge <clears throat> or cards. Mm-hmm. I know I'm talking like randomly. <laughs> that's quite all right. I'm taking it all in. Yeah. So you paid your way through college. I certainly so did. Much. Exactly. And Wonderful. Um, It's funny because my father was an attorney, Mm -hmm. and before I did silhouettes, I always drew but and painted and whatever, but I also would go to his office and do legal work, which I love doing, so I have an organized brain. You have to keep yourself grounded and then let go as an artist, I think, because we are born on the world and on the earth, and so you have to use both skills. And to ground myself, even to do a job. I write notes. I put it on the computer. I put doors. I string my cell phone charger around. um, I'll string something around my suitcase luggage so I don't forget the cord. So I give myself lots of reminders, like three to four times so that I don't become spacey and forget something, which is really funny because I did work in Sedona this year where you're at a vortex and you're supposed to become extra spacey there. And I actually really did. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it happens. Yeah, it it happened. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like maybe I shouldn't be here. (laughs) We'll be right back. We are very excited to have a new sponsor at Yorkron. Luxury men's clothing lines Thaddeus and Tad are now combined on one website. They belong to the same family. They share DNA. Might as well have their clothes all in the same place too. Both brands are typically sold at Nordstrom's, Bergdorf's, and unique upscale boutiques. But you can find them online at ThaddeusandTad.com. Thaddeus, the uncle, is a collection of sportswear for the man who always arrives well-dressed, but sometimes breaks the rules. Quality fabrics are important, but so are comfort, fit, and details. 
Some of the pieces are washed and weathered, others more crisp. Thaddeus is designed for the man who is current and comfortable in his own skin. Tad, the younger nephew, is more rugged, more washed and weathered, but willing to learn from the past. Tad is the nephew of Thaddeus, sharing the same namesake and DNA, but interpreted for a new generation of sportswear. Tad is more casual, suggesting a more worn-in, easy look. The fit is slightly slimmer and trimmer. Tad fits the mind and body of a man who wants to put his own stamp on the traditions he has inherited. For menswear that is a tad dressy and a tad disheveled, shop online at ThaddeusAndTad.com. You said during your appearance on PBS, quote, when I'm cutting a silhouette, I feel the person, I become them for that one moment, end quote. Can you describe that, uh, what that I, means? I can. I think that it's so important that we all be ourselves. And that's very common to say these days, but I felt that when I was 16 years old, because I felt like a different person than other people. Artists are a little bit nerdy. Um, you can now compare that to people who may have same-sex problems or other kind of issues where you feel a little different than other people. It doesn't matter if your outsides could be what might be considered beautiful or attractive. You just feel like you think differently. You're not really interested in being popular. That doesn't mean people don't think you're kind or sweet. You really are sitting there with a deep deeper spirituality about everything you do. And so when people sit down and it can be a child or a baby, I try to feel them. And I really do. I go right inside of them and I feel them. I become part of them. It's not hard. You just throw out a few little things like, what do you like to do? <laughs> Let's say it's a child and I'm, I've done school fundraisers. So if I'm at, I get all the kids very excited, but I start by like, do you like to dance? Do you like to do this? I worked at Disney. Do you like Harry Potter? So I throw out weird things and I actually for children, I throw out imagination kind of ideas. And then before you know it, they're speaking, they're telling me who they are. You can see their, what their passions are. They really share them. It's not unusual for a silhouette artist to be a little bit intuitive. In fact, there is a very famous scientist, more famous than Freud in his day, named Lavatar. L-A-V-A-T-R. He was German and he fell in love with silhouette artists mm. and he would use them to tell them about personality. He did books. It became the rage around the world. More of those were sold than anything. And we're talking, I want to say that maybe we're saying like late 1700s, 1800s. I'm getting my dates a little mixed up, but it was when silhouettes were the rage and silhouette artists were used to tell people they should hire them if they should marry them just by your physiognomy or your outside looks, which we do look at people. We judge them from their features. I mean, that's why people may go to old great lengths to wear a lot of makeup, you know, so you'll think their eyes are larger. A long time ago, the Gatsby era, tiny little lips were popular. So different 
kinds of presenting yourself to the public become popular at different times. But Lavater's beliefs, maybe 50, 60 years later, were considered like prejudices. They basically were saying that the German way of looking is the right way, like small lips, big forehead, that that (laughs) meant you were intelligent. So someone with a smaller forehead supposedly didn't have as many brains. (laughs) So that's kind of interesting, though. But the point being, I'm not rambling. I'm getting right back to the point. Is that silhouette artists and all my silhouette artist friends, which I have probably about twelve, and that's a lot considering there might be really eighteen of us in the world. That is a lot. Yeah, no, it's you pretty much all share. of them. Yeah, there's about two of them that won't talk to anyone because they kind of like think they're, you know, whatever. <laughs> we won't say what they think. Silhouette they are. snobs. Um, maybe they think they're Jesus. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> yeah. They, they're they in black. They feel like movie stars. They'll say silhouette artists. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to give away who they are. Yeah. Because, you know, we need to be kind in this world. I agree. I agree. We'll, we'll let that one lie. You, you had mentioned your parents earlier. Your father was a lawyer and your mother an interior designer who could have been a runway model. Yeah. She won um, John Robert Power's supermodel of the United States. She was gorgeous. And I feel like my little grandbaby, I already have one. I have actually three and a fourth one coming, but looks like her very fun and beautiful, like watercolor looking eyes that look like the, a GNC that's just perfect turquoise color and the whitest blonde hair and tall and skinny. And, and we have millions of definitions of beauty. But at that time, my mother had the definition of beauty with that tiny waist and the beautiful shoulders and great posture and maybe a Grace Kelly kind of look. Mm, yeah. 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 So she could have been a runway model and she chose to work with your dad. What are mm-hmm. what are some of the more memorable impacts your parents had on your life? We did role playing and I think that was lucky. And I do that. I did that with my children and I do it with my grandchildren. So you don't really need a lot of plastic toys, although we do have a lot. People give us a lot, but (laughs) um, I didn't grow up with them. I grew up with my imagination. So I, we would do play acting. We would do singing voices, cost chalk, drawing outside, jumping, climbing trees, uh, art, painting, personality changes, which is real important um, for children and their imaginations. And even playing with objects and giving them voices and personalities because they don't have to have a temper tantrum. They can let the, like a puppet, they can let it happen. And that's much healthier. So I think I grew up that way. And I had two sisters of which my older sister was considered like a genius and my father was as well. He wasn't, he started college at 14. So every year his parents might move. His father was a rabbi. (laughs) And, um, at that time it was an Americanism time when we were industrial age and they would say work on Saturdays and the religious Jewish people would say that Shabbos don't work. That was not popular in New York. Mm. So then they moved to California being a rabbi. And then my father would retest for school. They'd move him up a grade or two. And by the time he finished high school, he was probably 13 and he went to college at 14. My goodness. Washington and St. Louis and finished college by 18, got into University of Texas Law School, passed his bar by 20 
And he worked for one of the presidents of the United States in Washington, D.C., and he was supposed to be one of a senator, but then his mother in Houston, Galveston area, they later from California moved to Galveston, then Houston, and his father was a rabbi there. And um, his mother was in a car accident and actually went in a coma, and so he gave that up, you know, that fame, that ambition to help the world, basically, and moved to Houston, set up offices in the Heights, and still did people's rights laws, and he didn't charge everyone. He when he passed away, there were more than a thousand people at his funeral. So I think that says a lot to me. That's the wealthiest person in the world when you have everyone loving you. And, you know, even to this day, his kindness, his sweetness. He had us doing charity work when we were young. We would go out and campaign with him and pass out flyers. And I think that I, I was lucky my parents were there. We They never went out without us. We traveled in a car so it's simple, but I live that itinerant life now where I go to people. I, I don't mind getting in my car and driving. I kind of like the freedom. I don't have to stay in the best hotel. It just has to be clean. I do bring my own pillow and my own my own comforter with me and <laughs> lavender and an eye mask and a sound machine. So maybe, you know, but I have it down. I can go in one suitcase with art supplies, whether I ship them ahead of time to the place. And it's not unusual in one week Last week alone, I went to New Orleans. The next, I flew back by nine o'clock at night. And then the next day, I had a flight to San Francisco. I've watched the next morning. I had to be in Napa for Google to do silhouettes for Google. This is just last week. And then I enjoyed a day in Napa. I had a friend fly up with me. And then I had to get back to the airport to San Francisco. And I did that about 11 at night. And the next day, my flight was at 6.50 in the morning to Dallas. And then in Dallas, I worked for TGI Friday's Corporate. And I learned something everywhere. Like each Google event is different. So they have a different name. It's sort of like putting a puzzle together. Like, what will it be? What will it be? The first one was Google Workshop, which meant they were putting computers together. (laughs) They let me in the room. And I do really well with tech people. I think tech people are somewhat like artists because they have to be in a higher realm. I'm not saying I'm higher realm. They have to let go of preconceived notions to create and to keep moving forward. Mm. And they're a little bit nerdy and I'm nerdy. I don't mind it. I'm proud (laughs) of being a nerd (laughs) because it's who I am. And we have to each embrace that. And that's very popular today. We know that we have to. Absolutely. But I love working with tech people. They get so excited about the silhouette. Um, I cheat on the eyelashes normally. If they don't have real long ones, I do give it to them. And the women say they feel like a princess. But I bring colored pens. And if they have red hair, blue hair, pink hair, I'll scribble it in there. Sometimes I etch their curls and their hair, you know, a little bit more. And definitely nose rings and... Sometimes I'll cut out tattoos into the silhouette. So I try to be very avant-garde, feel who the person is, what they want to look like, how they feel about themselves, because that's real important. Some people are very simple. And then I do a more simple silhouette, a smart silhouette. And some people are Barbies. And then I give them like five sets of eyelashes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about the Holly Rose Ribbon Foundation and how you came up with this amazing idea. My sister did a self-examination and felt a lump in her breast Mm. and went to her OBGYN and he said, don't worry, that's not cancer. 
that's nothing, go home. So she did, and she was happy, and she was married to a radiologist, and they supposedly, MD Anderson supposedly did a scan on her and said it wasn't cancer, and then a year later, it was even bigger. And self-examination, by the way, is the number one best way to know if you have breast cancer, Mm -hmm. not the mammogram. Mm -hmm. Mammograms can actually be dangerous if you do them too often. You can get cancer, so there you go. There's always a downside to everything. So by the next year, it was stage three. Uh, so stage three, the next stage four is death. And stage three, when you have a huge lump in your breast, you do a lumpectomy. You don't do a mastectomy, which means you don't remove the breast. You just take the lump out. Mm. And my sister had ample natural breasts, so you hardly saw anything with the huge lump being taken out. But I had a friend that had that radical mastectomy, and no one would go out with her, and she got cancer in her 20s. And to this day, she's still not married. So people really... Um, look down upon some women when they don't have breasts. And so just knowing all that and my sister going through cancer and having the lumpectomy, she said that a lot of women can't afford to have reconstruction. And I always have gotten upset that people think plastic surgery, and I am married to plastic surgeon, it's about the outside of people and what we think of as that Barbie look. And there's more to it. There's cranial facial surgery, Down syndrome, um, people that are burned in fires. That's a pretty obvious one. So there's things they do, cleft palate, that are really important because people can be bullied and made fun of. But when you have cancer or critical sickness, if you're left with your outside, let's say your arm was amputated, then you need a little piece put on so you can kind of Maybe people won't make fun of you in that case, but you still need to get around. So when you're scarred, and my friend with her mastectomy, when I saw it, the radical mastectomy, it looked like spaghetti and meat sauce. Mm. It didn't look like a boy. You imagine that somebody has a breast removed, and they're going to look like a young boy, and it doesn't. It looks terrible. And so I thought when you get up every morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, you feel terrible because you don't know if cancer is going to come back. You're reminded every day of a mantra that you have, your your body did get sick. You could get sick again. The statistics are one in six in Houston and the world, it's about one in 10 for breast cancer. And there's many cancers, but we live near Port here. So I feel like that's, you know, statistically when I look up what places have a lot of breast cancer and what one does, doesn't. A lot is diet, stress, and then environment. So the Texas panhandle doesn't get a lot of cancer, but Houston and Port Arthur and those kind of places do. Or if you have a bomb go off in Chernobyl, they get brain cancer. Mm. So anyway, Interesting. basic line is that I thought we could make a difference and we found it out. And then I saw more things we needed to do. We do grief counseling. We do art in hospitals for children with leukemia, um, wigs. Locks of Love does not provide wigs to cancer people. So you don't need to cut your hair and give it to them. They sell them. You've never met anyone that said, I'm wearing a Locks of Love wig that had cancer. And everyone at every table of 10 people, they have an aunt, a grandmother, a sister, someone that had cancer. So if you think of it that way, and I called when my sister had cancer, like, where's her wig? And they're like, it's $3,000. Mm. We don't, but that's it. And I said, well, but you give them away. And they're like, no, no, that's people with alopecia. Mm. And then we found a little girl with alopecia and they're like, no, they have to be under 10. And then we found one under 10 and they're like, we only give a few away a year. And we already met our quota. Mm. So, don't cut your hair, save it. But Hmm. we do provide wigs. Um, The ones that aren't human hair are more comfortable. 
So I, I don't think you should have one if you have cancer. I think you should have eight. Be a redhead one day. <laughs> you know, just like have a lot of fun. And then the happier you are, the sooner you get better and stress will go away and you'll feel good. And a lot of cancer could come on by negative feelings and stress and anxiety. That's one thing I've seen. And they say the biggest way to help a person is prayer. Mm. Good advice. Yeah. Good advice. You have done up to 600 silhouettes in a day, which you've mentioned. You've made clay silhouettes at Anderson Ranch in Snowmass, California. You learned bronze sculpture from the Glassell in Houston. School in yeah. Houston. You studied the play of light upon objects in Paris. Cindy, those are great accomplishments for an artist. Are there? Is there anything art related that you still want to accomplish? I love to paint. And I know that being a silhouette artist, it's sort of like silly. <laughs> You're a silly <laughs> artist. You're not a real artist. And I am a real artist. I paint, I sculpt, I bronze, I've made furniture. I've certainly painted the stains on the furniture my children made with their fingers and painted their clothes. And I can't think of anything I haven't done in art from found object to aluminum to bronze to clay to watercolor to oil to acrylic um i can't really think of any art form that i hadn't done not computer art i don't do that but um i've done art layout and advertising copy i have the two degrees from college so i was an art major first at my university and i found that it wasn't perfect for me because i don't look like what you may think an artist looks like, which is a little bit freaky. And <laughs> I'm very kind of perky Disney looking, I think. Um, I agree. Okay, I'll thank go with you. That. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't look down and trot. And I tried to in college. I would put blue under my eyes so that I would look like I was like sick or something. And I would whiten up my face. And I really didn't have a big wardrobe. I had to pay for my college. So I just had jeans. And you'd have your good jeans and your bad jeans. And I tie-dyed T-shirts. But they still thought that I seemed wealthy, which was odd. Because I grew up very just plain middle class, I would say. Because we weren't about excess. We didn't order iced tea or Coke when we went out to eat. So we were raised with our feet on the ground and not with a lot of things. That was not love. We were raised with love. And um, But I would have teachers say things to me. I won an award from the communication school, so I switched and double majored and I have two degrees. But I won the top student at University of Texas in communications, which is the subject that I learned everything in. And in any field that you're in, it doesn't matter if you're a welder, you have to communicate to someone. Even if you're communicating to a machine, you still have to spread a message somehow. So learning that, learning those skills that I learned at University of Texas in advertising public relations, and it was radio, TV, film, journalism, that is what I use. I, art was really silly. I already was an artist before I went to college. You are an artist. Um, they didn't teach me how to promote my art. They didn't teach you that how to finish it off. They didn't really even teach me how to stretch a canvas. So I didn't learn what I needed to know. I didn't know that you actually needed people to invest in you, that you needed to go to festivals and kind of had to have a theme about your art. Like I thought you could just paint or you could just make art, but you can't. You have to make a statement about your art. So 
art can be cow dung, and I'm not making that up. So cow dung was art in New York. Hmm. And there's the Rothka Chapel. So nothing of an, uh, okay, please, no one get mad at me because, I mean, that is art, okay? Forgive me. They're just like solid pieces of something (laughs) framed, and then that's like everything in the world and nothing in the world. And I didn't know that you have to make a statement and a dialogue and a narrative and so I'm just an amusement park. <laughs> My narrative is like Disney. It's like, let's sell happiness. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up a good point about artists in general. And when, when I say artists, uh, I mean in a very broad range. It is. Welders, machinists, fabricators. What they are. Anybody that creates, I guess, is, is my personal People definition. who make those stones at the cemetery, yeah. they're making art. The people that write books or make music. Or, but very little is taught about, okay, I made this thing that I, you know, I've been inside my head for all these years. Now what do I do? You have to be a little bit kind of like, you know, like Lady Gaga may not have made it if she'd been Stephanie. So you kind of have to give yourself a little BS. You have to hang out with people that are affluent and get them to follow you. And Mm. you have to live a really pretty wild life, I think. When I meet people who have made it in the art world, they lived a wilder life than I did. So maybe I'm very wholesome. Good thing I worked at Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Twice, Disney World and Disney World. Well, I worked with the company for five years. And um, that's long enough. I started mm-hmm. at 16 and I started college at 17 and finished college at 21 and went out to Disney World at 21 and 22 when the whole park was like in tears because the Disney flag didn't rise that day. I thought, you know, this isn't the real, real world. Like all <laughs> we're talking about is Disney. Like I need to get out of here. I will be some little fat blob and not know anything. Uh, so I went to Houston and that's where my parents lived and got a newspaper job at the Houston Post newspaper and did advertising and art and layout and wrote a groceries column about food and products. Most of them I wouldn't eat. And, um, <laughs> The journalism, PR, marketing, but it didn't pay. It paid like 600 maybe less a week. Everyone knows that writers don't get paid. And um, to afford my job, which I absolutely loved, I had to cut silhouettes out on weekends. And then I got an agent. I won a beauty contest. I won in Austin, Miss Austin, and I won in Houston some contests, and then I was on a magazine cover with the silhouette articles in the inside, like silhouette on the outside, silhouette on the inside, you know, the many faces, the Cindy Harwood. And I always liked imagination. So I had wigs in every color and I liked to look different. And I did my own hair and makeup. That was nothing. And um, in those days, you did your own hair and makeup. And um, so... I did modeling. I got an agent, um, not on purpose. I just got one. There was a woman, Marianne Duffy, who would go around and find women and say, would you like to be an actress? Would you like to be this? Before you know it, I was in the Screen Actors Guild. I uh, got parts in movies and dinner theater plays. And that was just on the side of doing silhouettes and being an artist. And I think artists are more than one thing. All the artists I know, they have more than one talent. They're musicians, some are magicians. Um, I think that most every artist I know is culinary. So I cook every day when I'm in town, which I try not to be because it's like such an ordeal. I'm so picky about food. But Mm. I think that there's so many things, like you said, that can be called art. So it's a broad term. And 
I have to say, if someone themselves thinks it's art, that I can't argue with them. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cindy, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, could go on and on, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank and you. so I, I like to... Um, in my my podcast with a sort of a legacy type question if you will if in a hundred years someone maybe an extended family member is listening to this recording what do you want them to remember about you about your work or anything in general i want them to remember that the most important part of everyone is their heart and that's what I want them to think about is love and how they can give more love to everyone else because that is what we have to connect to. And if we see the best in everyone, there is a best. We will also have a smile on the outside, and that's what Disney taught us. And actually, I love that school that I went to. I do have a degree from the University of Disney as well. Ah. And we were told that it takes less wrinkles to smile than to frown. So I want people to remember the smile in their heart and the smile in mine. Well said. Thank you so much for being on your cry. Thank you. Thank you.